I want to begin with uh, a core memory that I have. It's one of my earliest. And I, I grew up in a small town about an hour north of Seattle in a pretty rural part of the state. And, and I have this memory of when I was very young, playing alongside a, a riverbank with my two older sisters and a couple neighbor kids. At one point, my sisters and the neighbor kids ran off to the house. Uh, they, they were done playing, and being the, the smallest, youngest, and therefore slowest member of the bunch, I lagged behind, tried to catch up, but couldn't quite. And as I was trudging through the mud, at one point I felt a sting on my left hand. I was shocked, and, and before could, I could evaluate what had happened, saw a little wasp next to my hand, and then I felt another sting on my right shoulder. And then another sting on my neck. And before I could even realize what had happened, I became enveloped in a cloud of wasps. I had inadvertently stepped on a wasp's nest and destroyed their home. 26 stings and a doctor's visit later, I, I was on the mend. And I'm here today, I'm well. But let me just tell you, I remember this incident with crystal clarity. And I think the reason why is because it's my earliest memory of pain. And I'm not talking about like stub your toe type pain. I mean like scary pain. And I wonder, maybe, maybe you have a memory like that too. Of a time in your life, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, relational, a time in your life where you, you were hit with the unnerving reality that we live in a dangerous world, a world where we experience things sometimes that we know in our bones are just not the way it's supposed to be. And, and when we experience these things, often we're left with the prayer, God, why? Like, why does it hurt? Well, this morning, I want to explore the question as followers of Jesus who believe that God is good, that he created a good world, that he is all-powerful, and yet sometimes things happen that aren't good. Like, how do we as followers of Jesus make sense of suffering? And let me be very clear on the outset what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to answer every question that we have about God and suffering, in part because I don't have all the answers. In fact, I have a lot of unanswered questions. I'm also not even going to attempt to solve the what some call philosophical problem of suffering and evil. And if you're here this morning and that's what you're hoping for, I will gladly defer you to Dr. Sands. <laughs> there, there you go. That's, that's not what I'm doing this morning. But here's what I'm completely convinced of. Jesus offers good news to those who suffer. Jesus Christ is good news to those who suffer. And so to help us explore this question, I, I want to uh, direct our attention to 2 Corinthians 12. We're we're going to read a little bit about the Apostle Paul's experience or one of his experiences with suffering. I want to then ask a few questions and, and offer just a few reflections. 
2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9, says this. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm intrigued by the way that the Apostle Paul describes his suffering. He uses this sharp metaphor of a thorn in his flesh. And as a reader of the Bible, all sorts of questions emerge as I read about Paul's experience of suffering. To begin with, what was this thorn? Aren't you curious? Now, now, throughout the ages, scholars have filled books with all sorts of speculations, and there is every theory out there. One of the leading theories be some sort of eye condition Paul must have had. But at the end of the day, he doesn't tell us, which personally I, I actually appreciate because there's a sense in which it invites us to put ourselves into his sandals. Another interesting question is, who's responsible for this thorn? Now, on the one hand, Paul very clearly describes this thorn in his flesh as a, quote, messenger of Satan. So in Paul's mind, the direct cause seems to be Satan. And, and yet also it seems clear that Paul views God as not totally disconnected. God in some way has power over all of this and, and in some sense, allows this thorn in his flesh, hence the pleading. And and that leads us to a third question, and this is where I want to camp out this morning, and that is the question of why. Not once, not twice, three times, Paul, in his own words, pleads with the Lord, please take this away from me. And I want to ask this morning, Have you ever pleaded with God? Have you ever begged him to just, to take it away? To stop the pain? To make the hurting stop? If you have, then like me, then you you realize that often behind the pleading lurks the question of why. God, why? Would you allow this to happen? This is a question that so many people have wrestled with, not just philosophers and theologians over the ages, but anyone who has suffered, and I mean really suffered. And there have been all sorts of answers to this question. Some people who who have been unsatisfied with the answers they've been given actually walk away from the faith because of this question. Others who hold on to the faith grasp for what are often simplistic or even crude answers to this question, and some even concluding something as simplistic as, well, if you're suffering, it must be. It must be because God is punishing you. No joke, I had a professor in college who was a cancer survivor. 
at the height of his journey, his battle with cancer, at one point when it could have gone either way, he had a neighbor of his who had been praying for him, a faithful woman, approach him and and tell him basically that the reason why, she said, the reason why God hasn't healed you yet is you, you must have some kind of unconfessed sin in your life. Can you believe that? Let, let me just say, that's bad theology. That is toxic religion. And we know it's toxic because it hurts people. And we know it's bad theology because Jesus himself turns that assumption upside down. I was just reading last week in the Gospel of John chapter 9. You know the story. Jesus and his disciples come upon this blind man, a man born blind, a man familiar with suffering. And and his disciples make what was then a commonplace assumption in first century Israel. They say to Jesus, Jesus, who was it who sinned since this man is was born blind. Was it him or was it his parents? You know what Jesus said? I love Jesus. You know, you know what he said? Y'all are crazy. <laughs> okay, he doesn't actually say that. I just, I like to imagine that's how he started. But no, he said, guys, neither this man nor his parents sin. No, but this has happened. This suffering has taken place so that the works of God might be displayed through him. Don't these words sound similar to Jesus' words to the apostle Paul? Paul pleaded, would you please take this from me? And let me just say, if you find yourself suffering this morning, I want to invite you to hear Jesus' words to Paul as his own words to you because he is speaking this morning and he is saying the same thing. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus doesn't change Paul's situation, but he does change his perspective. You see, in in Christianity, in in the way of Jesus, suffering is never good. It is intrinsically not good. And yet, somehow, in the mystery of God's wisdom and grace, God can use it for his redemptive purposes. He can take something bad and he can use it to do something good and beautiful. Sometimes things that We couldn't even imagine. And sometimes we can see, we actually can see the good and beautiful things that God does with the hard things we experience. I, for me personally, when when my wife and I first got married, uh, like most young married couples, we assumed we'll get married, we'll get pregnant, we'll have kids, 2.5 to be exact. I wanted three, my wife wanted two, so, you know, meet in the middle. But a couple years in, uh, we began to slowly realize and painfully realize that we very likely weren't going to be able to conceive our own children. And, and, And let me just tell you, infertility is a very slow and silent way to suffer. We we didn't talk about it with many people. I mean, it's not like it's not dinner conversation. And, and so a lot of people didn't really know or understand. And so they would, people would say things like, 
Like, hey, when are you guys having kids? Or like, isn't it about time, you know, you all started thinking about kids? And, and they had no idea, but goodness, that hurt. And, and Mother's Day today is one of my favorite days of the year. I cherish Mother's Day. My, mo- my wife is the most amazing mother. My mom, my mother-in-law, like, I am so blessed. I love Mother's Day. But back then, it was the most painful day of the year. And every month, it'd be like your hopes would build and then crash. And so my wife and I, we would, we would in prayer just be like, God, why? We think we'd be good parents. Like life is a gift. We, life is secret. This is a good thing. Why, why will you not give this to us? And we pleaded with him and we couldn't make sense of it. And then the question of adoption was raised. And what began as a question turned into a conversation, many conversations, which turned into much prayer. We bathed this conversation in prayer. And eventually we felt God calling us to adopt. And let me just say, when I look at my kids today, when I look at the family that God has given me, I don't have words. I am beyond blessed and privileged to have the family that I do. See, sometimes we can see how God can take hard things and make something good and beautiful out of it. But sometimes it's harder, isn't it? Sometimes it's not so easy to see. Sometimes we're left wondering, okay, God, what am I to do with this? This makes no sense. I don't see the redemption. I can't make sense of this. What about then? Well, let me say, if Jesus' words are true, that his power is made perfect in weakness, then let, let me just say this morning, for all of the unanswered questions that we have, and I have many, there are a few things we can know. And the first is this, that amidst your suffering and pain, whatever it might be, God wants to do something good and beautiful in you. Amidst your pain, God wants to do something good and beautiful in you. Paul's first words as he tells this story, do you remember them? He said, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, apparently Paul struggled with that, And then he goes and talks about all of the suffering that he experienced, right? See, Paul had begun to see through the lens of faith his experience of pain as a means by which God meant to do heart surgery on him. As a means by which God was going to reach in and begin to transform into into someone he otherwise would not have been. I'm not saying this is fun, I'm not saying it's pleasant, but this is how God works. He can take something hard and make something good and beautiful within us out of it. And this is what he wants to do. But, but he, it's not simply that he wants to do something good and beautiful in you. He also, in the midst of our suffering and pain, wants to do something good and beautiful through you for the sake of others. In the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes that the God of all comfort 
comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we might comfort others in their troubles with the comfort we received from God. In other words, what Paul is saying is that when we experience hard things, the power of God is some way unleashed in a unique way. And what it does is it becomes the means by which our capacity to love, to empathize with, and to care for others incrementally increases. So certainly the case for us. I know when we were struggling in the height of our, of our journey with infertility, the people who were the most encouraging, the most life-giving, the most comforting were those who had gone through the same thing. They knew what to say, what not to say. They knew when to speak, when to be quiet. They knew when to send that text at the perfect time. And, and this is why for us, like, when we meet people who have gone through a similar journey, like, our hearts break we're drawn near and, and our capacity to love and to listen and to care for them is such that it never would have been the case otherwise. And I can't help but wonder for you, as you think about your life, your story, your journey, and the hard things you've experienced, how has God prepared you to uniquely love and serve those who are suffering? It's a good question. God wants to do something in you, and he wants to do something through you. We can know this. But there's one other thing we can know, and it's this, that whatever it is your experience, however it is your feeling, God is so much closer than you think. He is so much closer than you think. His grace is so much closer than you think. See, the good news at the center of Christianity is this beautiful announcement that the God who created all things and has mourned the brokenness of his world looks at us, a world in pain, wrecked by our sin, wrecked by evil, wrecked by death. He has looked at us, and rather than stay back, rather than keep us at arm's length, he has run, he has He has come into our world and entered into our pain. In fact, taking our pain and suffering upon himself on the cross to the point of death. And this God who has died because of his great love was raised, ascended, and promises to come back one day when he will make all things new and all things right. And there will be no more crying or mourning or pain because the old order of things will have passed away. Like this is our hope. This is the God that we celebrate every time we gather together, including when we come and we observe observe the Lord's Supper together, which we will be doing in just a few moments. In fact, the Deacons, you're welcome to start preparing right now. When, when, we, when we come together and observe the Lord's Supper, this is the story that we're reminded of, that the God who's made himself known in Jesus has come close. He's come near. And so I want to end this morning with just a couple things. The first, the first is this. Find time, whether during the Lord's Supper, during a song this morning, maybe this afternoon, to quiet your heart and to do two things. 
Tell God what hurts. If there's some burden, some pain, like just, just tell him. He won't be surprised. Tell him what hurts. But secondly, ask him, what might it look like for me, Lord, to trust you with this? What might it look like for me to trust you with this? I want to end this morning uh, by reading just a brief quote from what I think is one of the greatest works of modern theology, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, yes, it is a kid's uh, storybook, but I'm, I'm only half kidding. Sally Lloyd-Jones is brilliant. Uh, and and she, she perfectly captures that beatific vision at the end of Revelation of, of the new heavens and the new earth and a new creation where there's no more suffering, no more pain, the great Christian hope. And this is, this is what I want to leave you with before I pray. One day, she writes, John knew, the author of Revelation, John knew heaven would come down and mend God's broken world and make it our true, perfect home once again. And he knew in some mysterious way that would be hard to explain that everything was going to be more wonderful for once having been so sad. And he knew then that the ending of the story was going to be so great, it would make all the sadness and tears and everything seem like just a shadow that is chased away by the morning sun. Pray with me. Father, as we prepare our hearts this morning for the Lord's Supper, as we continue in worship, we, we quiet ourselves before you. And God, we don't always have all the answers, not least of all to the, the problems that we experience in this world, the suffering that we endure. And yet, God, we do know that you are good. We do know that grace is real and that you speak to us and make your grace available. God, fill us with faith. Remind us of the fact that you long to take the hard things, the difficult things, and to do good in us and through us. And remind us, most of all, that you are so much closer than we think. We love you too, Father, and we pray in your Son's name and by your Spirit. Amen.